Good morning, everybody. Sure. Lovely time with the Lord so far, hey? Um, I wonder if I can ask a very practical thing, one of you young guys, if you wouldn't mind to grab me one of those round tables over there, please, um, that I can preach from. I usually use my iPad, and this is great, but my laptop can't open anymore, and I can't see what it's saying. Um, so um, I, I just need to put it somewhere where I can actually see my notes. <laughs> Thank you, Nick. Thanks so much. Thanks, Dave. Oh, be beautiful. Thank you. Oh, that's great. If I'm doing this, I have not become Indian. I'm just trying to read my notes. Lord God, I pray that... Uh, your word would go forth with power today, Lord. I pray, Holy Spirit, open our hearts to hear your word. Change us um, to your will this morning in us. In Jesus' name. Amen. So, um, as I've been uh, preparing uh, to preach last week and spending time with the Lord um, after that, I felt the Lord speak to me and, and, and challenge me personally uh, regarding my identity. Um, I noticed that I do certain things and uh, I've got certain habits that I've developed. Oh, Joey, I love you. Thank you so much. Um, that point at idols hiding in my heart. Um, I, I, I was reading, I was preaching last week about how uh, dying happily to live. Do you remember that? And that we have to die to the flesh, to the sinful nature. And, and, and when we described the works of the sinful nature, uh, I, I started with just four of them. Um, and one of them was sensuality. And, and, and as I was looking at the meaning of that, I, I wasn't expecting it to challenge me, but it did. And, and I went to the Lord after last Sunday, and, 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 and I said, Lord, why do I do these things? Why, why do I act in this way? Why do I have these priorities that are not your priorities? And I felt the Lord um, saying that actually this doesn't just apply to me, it applies to all of us. And what he wanted to speak to me about was my and our identity and that when he shines the light of his truth about who we are that that truth will like Jesus said you'll know the truth and the truth will set you free and the truth about you, who you are will set you free from the idols in your life and will set me free from the idols in my life Who we are actually determines everything about how we live. If we don't know who we are, then we don't know what we should do. And if we have the wrong idea or the wrong understanding of who we are, then we will live that out. We will live wrongly. We will miss the mark. 
And the Bible describes missing the mark. It's a nice Greek word. It's called amartia. And we translate that as sin. And so if we don't know who we really are, we live wrongly out of that and we end up sinning. Does that make sense? So for example, if you were to wake up tomorrow morning like Jason Bourne did. I don't know if you've ever seen The Bourne Identity. Have you, have you seen that movie? Uh, if you haven't, don't worry. I'm not sure it's worth watching. But it's about this guy who's been trained to be this CIA um, operative uh, assassin, you know, and, and he wakes up one day and he can remember nothing. He can't remember his name. He can't remember what nationality he is. He doesn't know if he's married or single. He, he, he remembers nothing. He doesn't know what his identity is. And so he spends the rest of four different movies trying to find out why he's so good at killing people. I was just standing in worship, and uh, I felt the Lord nudge me. And so I, I Google searched um, uh, about a child that didn't know that he was an heir to a fortune. And there I found a story of somebody called David Rockefeller Jr. Have you heard the name Rockefeller? Yeah. Right? So he knew that his name was Rockefeller, but he just didn't know that the family was wealthy. Because the way his parents brought him up, you know, he, he was given a budget. He had to account for every little suite that he bought. You know, he thought he was just a normal kid like every other normal kid until somebody at his class said to him, are you David Rockefeller? He said, yes. He said, you're really rich. He said, am I? He didn't know that his grandfather was worth 11 billion U.S. dollars. And he was to inherit that. Well, our father is a lot wealthier than that. But so often we don't live like we know who we are. So who are we? Or who are we supposed to be? Who are we created to be? Genesis 1 verse 26 says, Then God said, Let us make man in our image after our likeness or in the new living translation it says let us make human beings in our image to be like us and the next verse it continues and it says verse 27 so God created man in his own image in the image of God he created him male and female he created them that's a beautiful opportunity for me to go into the male and female but I'm not going to God made us in his image, like him. To, if you want to see an image of yourself, where do you look? In the mirror. Some of us don't look too closely anymore. Thank, thank the Lord for eyes as you get older that get a bit short-sighted. God made us like a mirror to reflect him like a mirror does to us. We were created to, you're encouraging me, I'm just saying. 
I love it, Leroy. I've been missing Declan this whole time, and now... <laughs> God made us like a mirror to reflect His goodness and His glory to those around us. Like Moses, who went up the mountain and spent time with God, and when he came back down the mountain, his face was shining. The glory of God was reflecting off of him to those around us. And, and God wants us to be image bearers of God to the world around us, so that when they see us, they see God. So, practically, how are we supposed to image or reflect God? Well, firstly, we do it in our thinking, in our minds. Romans 2.12 says, but be transformed or changed by the renewal of your mind, that by testing you may discern what is the will of God, what is good and accept acceptable and perfect. You see, God wants us to think His thoughts. God wants us to, to read His truth and understand His truth from Scripture and then to be changed by that, to think no longer like the world thinks, but to think like God. The second way is in our feeling, in our hearts. God wants us to feel God's feelings. He wants us to, to feel love for people. He wants us to, to hate certain things like sin and its effects, its injustice, oppression. And he wants us to rejoice in what he rejoices in. Romans chapter 12 verse 9 says, Let love be genuine. Abhor what is evil. In other words, hate what is evil. Hold fast to what is good. So God wants us to think his thoughts with our minds, and he wants us to feel his feelings with our hearts. And finally, the third one is he wants us to do with our hands what he does. God calls us to join him in the family business. Jesus gave us the example. He, he, he knelt down and he washed the feet of the, of the disciples. And then he said, you should, I sh you should be Doing what I'm doing. If I, your master, am washing your feet, you should wash each other's feet. We should serve others with compassion and generosity. We were contacted last week by um, one of the pastors or one of the elders in, in uh, our Durbanville congregation. And they said, there's a lady who's just gone into hospital and, uh, you know, um, um, uh, we can't help because she's gone right into Bloberg Net Care, right by where you guys are. Can somebody help, please? And I put out a message on our deacon team. I was away and I said, can somebody please help and go and visit this lady? And Sydney and Delian immediately said, yes, we'll go. And they went to the hospital. They met with the lady and she committed her life to Jesus. They prayed with her. And then the next day, they went into hospital again, and they prayed for her to be filled with the Holy Spirit. And they explained that to her, and she was filled with the Holy Spirit, and she prayed in tongues. And this morning, I bumped into Sydney here just before, and Delene isn't here because she's in hospital with the lady, because all, all of her organs have gone in, into organ failure, and so probably she's going to be passing away today. But Delene is there because the rest of the family is there, and they don't know Jesus. 
Ephesians 2 verse 10 says, For we are his workmanship, created in Christ Jesus for good works, which God prepared beforehand that we should walk in them. And so when we reflect God with our heads and our hearts and our hands, out of love for him and others, we do what we, we were created to do. And this is joyful for us. It's helpful to others. And it is worship towards God. Just before the verse that tells us that we should be changed by how we think in Romans 12, 2. Romans 12, 1 says this. The Apostle Paul says, I appeal to you, therefore, brothers, by the mercies of God, to present your bodies as a living sacrifice, holy and acceptable to God, which is your spiritual worship. And so the way that we worship is by thinking God's thoughts with him, by feeling his feelings, and by doing his work. That is worship. That is worship more than singing songs on Sunday. I said it last week. Worship equals lives lived holy for God, not songs sung to God on a Sunday. Singing is part of worship, but image-bearing Reflecting God to the world around us is true worship. Worship is the continuous outpouring of all that I am and all that I do for the God that I choose. Why, why did you say for the God that I choose? Where are you going with that? The point is that our worship never stops. Our entire life is dedicated to pouring ourselves into someone or something. We are unceasing worshipers. Everyone, from atheists to Christians, worship unceasingly. Our choices, our values, our expenditures, our words, our actions and thoughts are all acts of of worship. And that's why the Bible teaches us, be very careful what you think about. Be very careful what you feel. Be very careful what you do, because everything you're doing is worshiping either the true God or another God. The only question is who or what is our object of worship? And one minor little point. We don't do this alone. As image bearers of God, God is three in one. The Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. And they are in perfect community. They love one another perfectly. They are completely united. They are um, communicating with one another all the time. And in the same way, we are made for community, for friendship, and for conversation. We are not an island. And so much of what God wants us to do is in the context of community. Community. 
in the family of God, in the church. And so, how do we learn then? What should I think? What should I feel? What should I do? How do we learn that? Well, when God created Adam and Eve, He spoke to them. He gave them instructions about what they were to do, and He gave them boundaries as well, what, what not to do. Let me read it for you, Genesis 1.28. And God blessed them, and God said to them, do you see, God speaking to them, God wants to speak to us in exactly the same way as he spoke to Adam and Eve. No, hold on. Not in exactly the same way. Because there he appeared to them and he was like right there, okay? But, but in a similar way, right? God's desire is to bless us and to speak to us and to guide us. He didn't just leave them and like, okay, there's Adam. I wonder when he's going to, you know, start doing stuff like a little man in a new um, Minecraft world. It says, God said to them, be fruitful and multiply and fill the earth and subdue it and have dominion over the fish of the sea and over the birds of the heavens and over every living thing that moves on the earth. Genesis 2 verse 15, it continues, the Lord God took the man and put him in the garden of Eden to work it and keep it. And the Lord God commanded the man saying, you may surely eat of every tree in the garden, but of the tree of the knowledge of good and evil, you shall not eat for in that day that you eat of it, you will surely die. And so, so God wants to communicate to us what we should be living and doing and what we should not be doing with our thinking and feeling and actions. But the problem that we face in understanding our identity and, and understanding who we're supposed to be is that we don't just have God. The problem with preaching with a, with a, um, a laptop is all of your WhatsApp messages keep coming through. And we are the 11 o'clock service, and all of the 9 a.m. lead elders are busy commenting on how their services went and stuff. I'm like, squirrel. <clears throat> what we've established so far is that God made us, and he made us to be his image bearers. But the problem we, we encounter is with, there's someone out there who also wants us to do stuff and think stuff and feel stuff which is opposite to what God wants. And Adam and Eve encountered him in the same garden. Can I read about him? In Genesis chapter 3, verse 4, it says, But the serpent said to the woman, You will surely not die, for God knows that when you eat of it, your eyes will be opened, and you will be like God, knowing good and evil. What a deceitful snake. Now I know the point that I'm about to make. But look at, the, look at how crafty he was. Look what he says. He says, for God knows that when you eat of it, your eyes will be opened. What is he saying? At the moment, your eyes are closed. At the moment, you don't know who you are. 
At the moment, you don't know God. At the moment, you are not like God. What did God say? Let me make them like me. And the devil says, you will be like him if you do this. Can you see the lie? And, and, and the devil comes to you and me every day. And he says, you are not like God. If you wanted to be in control like God is, you would do this. Or if you wanted to get to the end of the month, you ignore it. No, if you tithe, you will not make it. Don't trust him. Trust me. Trust yourself in every way. You are not happy in your marriage. But if you go looking for someone else, then you will be liberated. You will be free. You will be happy. He's lying. He's lying. He implied to Eve that her eyes were closed to her true identity. And that if she followed his way, she would find her true identity. That God did not want her to have or know. And that she would be at last like God. When actually she was already just like God. Here's the lie. We will be like God if we base our identity on someone or something else other than God. The enemy's objective is to get us to reflect or image something other than God. To get us to worship mind, feelings, actions, something other than God. And we call those things idols. And so we've got two options. The one is that we can mirror or reflect God. And the second is that we can mirror or reflect an idol. Or, in my case, various idols. We have a condition as humans. Oh, I certainly do. I'm continually forgetting who I am in Christ and then trying to fill that void by placing my identity in pretty much anything else. The world has got lots of categories for us and the culture around us, you know. God says, I made them male and female. And they're like, oh, you can be male and female or a bit of both or LGBTQI2. Lots of other options. But God says there's only two categories. Those who worship the Creator or those who worship created things. And because of sin, we are prone to want to worship anything or anyone other than God who we were made to worship. Idolatry is when we make a created thing a God thing. And that is very bad. 
Romans 1, verse 20 to 25, summarizes this point that I'm making. It says, So they are without excuse, for although they knew God, they did not honor Him as God or give thanks to Him. But they became futile in their thinking, and their foolish hearts were darkened. Claiming to, wise, they bec- claiming to be wise, they became fools, and they exchanged the glory of the immortal God for what? For images resembling mortal man and birds and animals and creeping things. Do you see? Instead of being a mirror to God, they started to mirror and worship created things. Therefore God gave them up in the lusts of their hearts to impurity, to the dishonoring of their bodies amongst themselves. Because they exchanged the truth about God for a lie and worshiped and served the creature rather than the creator who is forever blessed. Amen. So now I'm going to practically get to some of the categories of idols. And this part was very hard for me because I thought that as I wrote these things down, I was going to be telling you too much about myself and I didn't, wasn't sure I really wanted you to know. But there are at least five categories of idols that I have found in me. All right? So they're probably somewhere there as well. The first one, and, and, and I'm going to list them for you quickly, and then I'm going to go into them. Is that okay? They are items, duties, others, longings, and sufferings. I'll say it again. Items, duties, others, longings, and sufferings. Items is what we own, or what we rent, or what we wear. It's our public way of projecting our desired image. Vehicles, wardrobes, technologies, homes, jewelry, furniture, and more. Consumerism is the religion of items. Buying things we don't need with money we don't have to impress people we don't know who don't even care. If possessions define your identity, then the brand name on your clothes or on your Toyota, I mean your car, (laughs) is important. And it's often driven by the desire to gain status and prestige with your peers. Products are not simply valued for their usefulness, but rather they play a central role in the cultivation and maintenance of our identity. Consumer goods become more than objects we use. They become carriers of meaning for us. They define us. They send social signals to others and prop up our chosen identity. I was looking to uh, get rid of one of my cars after this. 
And um, I, I went and dropped off uh, one of Gavin's uh, daughters um, with my daughters at, at Gavin's house. And, and as we left Gavin's house, I, I saw there's a guy uh, with a similar type of car to what I have um, that I wanted to sell. And I've, I find that people who are already worshippers of those idols might want another one. And so I stopped there, and uh, I knocked on the door, and, I, and, and this guy came out, young guy, and I said to him, Yo, I see that you have a, this type of car. You know, sure, it's pretty. He says, thank you. He says, what do you drive? I said, oh, similar, you know. I told him what I drive. He says, oh, cool. You see? Identity, value, worth. So I said to him, hey, would you consider buying, you know, one of these that I have? He says, oh, he says, mm, I think about it, but listen to what his answer was. This one that I have, all of my friends know that I have it. And actually, it's become part of my persona. So there's no way I could now get rid of it. thought to myself, yo, I better get rid of mine quick. <laughs> he says, I could not live without it. Wearing non-designer clothes, driving an old car, using anything other than the latest technology somehow devalues us in our mind. When consumerism is your religion and stuff is the object of your worship, then the things you own end up owning you. And the results of having items as idols are coveting, overspending, debt. They cause us to work harder, spend less time with those we love, live more miserably, enslaved to debt in an ongoing effort to prop up some false sense of identity and personal value. The problem is not the mall, but it is us. It is not sin to purchase something or even to appreciate or enjoy it, but when it becomes part of your identity, then we become guilty of idolatry. items. The second one is duties. Life is filled with duties. When we're young, we are given chores to do. Then we go to school and we have homework. And then we, have, uh, we, get, we get a job and, and, and there's the requirements of our job. And, and then we get involved in church and we get ministry obligations. And, and then we get married and then there's relational duties in marriage and, and then parental duties in, fa in family when kids come. And all of these can be good and a way that we worship God, or they can become a God to us that we worship. If I find my identity in the achievement of my duties, I will have many troubles. I will always be searching for something to excel at in an effort to outperform others, to demonstrate how well I can do it. Once I believe that I have found that thing, 
I will become overly committed to it, even possibly obsessed with mastering that thing. <coughs> Surfing. So, did that come out? Other people and things like your health will not matter much to you and will be instead be placed on the altar of success to the God of achievement. You may become so competitive that winning is all that matters to you. The more you win, the less compassion you have for others who aren't winning. And this can even turn into disdain for those who are hurting or struggling or failing. And as you succeed, you can become proud and unpleasant to be around with all the boasting about your achievements. And when you fail or lose, God forbid, you become depressed and panicked and devastated, which makes you miserable and even more miserable to be around. You know who I just described, hey? Me. I spent 20 years of my life trying to be the best in business that I could be. I was sitting with Annie this morning having coffee when she came in and I was, um, I was very, very convicted at this point. Don't worry, we haven't gotten anywhere near the end yet. There's still lots more conviction to come. And I was crying, but I mean, I cry easily, but I was. And I was saying, I wonder why these things were so deeply entrenched in me. And you know, I realized um, when I was a little boy, I didn't really have that many friends that wanted me as their best friend. I had, I had none, actually. I was always the guy that, you know, I would phone the friends and, you know, no, I'm busy with, or I'm busy with that. Or I'm busy. And the reason was I went to a private school in Zimbabwe and, and there everyone was relatively wealthy and, except we weren't. Everybody had video players at their house at that stage. I mean, I know you guys have no idea what that is, but. And, 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 and their parents had, had uh, uh, boats on the lake. We didn't even know where the lake was. And so on the weekend, everybody would be invited to do these fun things. And I'd be fun. Hey, hey, would you like to come? No, sorry, I'm busy. Oh, no, sorry, I'm busy. And so I was on my own a lot of the time. And I realized... I made a decision in my little heart at that stage that I am going to get everything so that people will also want to spend time with me. You see the way that we, we let hurt or injuries by the enemy or what other people do then determine our identity. And I decide I am going to work so hard that there's going to be nothing that I don't have in my home. And I'm telling you, my kids are going to have everything that they want. And I didn't realize that curse. Because that could be the worst thing that I could ever do for my kids. 
Okay, enough about me. The truth is, you are not what you do. You have God-given talents, Holy Spirit-empowered gifts, and unique abilities. You also have duties, but your duties do not define you because your identity is not determined by what you do. Can I say it again? In fact, can you say it? My identity is not determined by what I do. Rather, you are what Christ has created you to be. And you find your value in Christ, who then helps you to be faithful in pursuing your duties and using your abilities. And He is the essence of your dignity and identity. Joey, it's four minutes to one. Do you think we should stop there, Joey? Hmm? What do you think, Donna? You, you agree with him? Do you think we should stop or should I keep going? Okay. Okay, I'm going to keep going just for a little bit, okay? I'll try to get through, um, and, and then the rest of it we'll, we'll, we'll probably do next week. Is that all right? So items and duties. The other one is others. So remember what we're talking about. These are the categories of idols that we can cling on to in our hearts. Now, God made us for friendship and community. We've already said that. And it's good to have others in our lives. But like all things, this good thing can become a God thing if others become the source of our identity. Your community, or, or let me call it your tribe, right, is the group of people that you most closely identify with. Maybe it's your country, you know. Yeah. Or maybe it's your family. Or, or, or your city, or your school, or your class, or your sports team, your nationality, your race, your gender, your ethnicity, your culture, your income level, your ho hobby, your political party, or any other tribe that you identify with. And while it's good to have community, we often turn this good thing into a bad thing by basing our identity on and idolizing our tribe. And what happens is, if you idolize your tribe, you know, the Harley Drivers Association of, uh, you know, Bloberg, then you will demonize or criticize or put down other tribes because yours is the best. And so this often explains why there's unnecessary and unholy hostility between nations or cities or genders or races or classes or churches or educational systems, private school, no, 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 public school, no, no, homeschooling, vax, anti-vax. Did I say that? 
If others form our identity, then our personal relationships become unhealthy. The tendency to find our identity in other people is sometimes referred to as giving in to peer pressure or people-pleasing or codependency or having a fear of man. And this explains why sometimes we change our appearance and behavior depending on whom we're with and whom we're seeking to impress. Have you seen anyone in Josh Jen who doesn't dress in a Hurley t-shirt? The result of this idolatry, finding our identity in others, is either dependence on them, listen to this, or independence. You're like, hold on. No, surely it's only dependence. Well, let's talk about that first. Dependence means that our identity or our value or our worth or our happiness depends on our being with or being accepted by our chosen tribe. And so what we do is we do whatever it takes to fit in. This can make us unable to be alone, or, or if we are with somebody, very demanding, or, or placing unrealistic expectations on the people that we are in relationship with, or married to, or on our friends if we're single. And, and this might look like we are super loving. But when we struggle with the idol of dependence, we are in fact not loving people as much as using them to fulfill our own need to belong, to be liked, or to be desired. We become easily inflated when people praise us and easily deflated when they criticize us. It's as if others have the ability to determine our identity for that day based on a word or even a glance. In giving this power over our lives to other people, we give them a God-like position to rule over us and define who we are. And in today's social media age, when people can do that from their home, on their phone, publicly, for others to witness online, that can cause a lot of anxiety, and it can rob us of our peace and our joy. So that's dependence. But it's very interesting that the opposite reaction, independence, is also a sign of the idolatry of others. How? It's counterintuitive. Because we don't want to be hurt or rejected, we then wrongly avoid relationships out of fear of getting hurt, which means that others still end up controlling our identity just in a different way. Our thoughts and feelings and actions, albeit in the opposite way, are still controlled by our impressions of what others will think of us and how they will treat us. And so what we do is we run away from it before it even happens. And we become independent, where God created us to be interdependent. Okay, that's the third one, others. Two more, and then we'll stop. 
The fourth one is our longings. Now, longings are the hopes that we have that tomorrow might be better so that we can endure today, so that we can persevere today. However, when our longings become the source of our identity, our life becomes governed by our feelings and, um, about the future rather than our present. In other words, what we hope for is more important than what we have or who we are or what God has done for us and is doing in our lives and will do in our lives. If we build our identity on what we hope will happen, it can make us very unstable, like the man in James who gets blown about by the wind and the waves. On days when we're healthy or if we receive good news or if we achieve something, we feel powerful and hopeful. But on the days when we're sick or we hear bad news or we fail, we feel powerless and hopeless. And this causes us to live emotionally volatile lives with towering highs as our identity soars and defeating lows as our identity crashes. Living for the future causes our identity to always be out there, tomorrow, just around the corner, rather than being able to live today, present in reality. It's not a sin to plan or to strive for a better tomorrow, but it is a sin to set one's joy and identity on who we will be or what we will do or what we will have tomorrow in our own efforts, rather than to fix our identity on Christ today and to trust Him that whoever He makes us and whatever He has us do and whatever He gives us tomorrow, we will trust in Him. And the final one is sufferings. As long as we are alive, we will suffer. Anyone ever had a sore back? Physically, we will suffer. Anyone ever been hurt by someone else? Had your heart broken? Been betrayed? Emotionally, we will suffer. Anyone struggling to get by or keep a job? Financially, we will suffer. Mentally, we will suffer. The weight of our responsibilities or, or somebody else's criticism or, you know, oh, I didn't like how you did the finance teaching, Chris, because you could have, oh, man, we suffer. Relationally, I loved the way you did the finance teaching, by the way. I loved it, Chris. It's just the beginning of your preaching career. Pastor Chris. Relationally, friends don't treat us kindly or they ignore us. Or they prioritize another friend over me. Or where a friendship fails or, or a marriage fails and then our whole world falls apart. We suffer. And spiritually we often suffer when we feel like God isn't answering despite the number of times that we're asking. Or that God is far away or, he, or his expectations, or my expectations of him are not being met. And what we can easily do 
and I want to say this very gently, is that we allow our hurts or our sufferings to become our identity. Our pain can become all-consuming and overwhelming. I want to say very lovingly that to be a Christian is not to live a life free of suffering. But rather, our suffering in this life leads us to identify with Jesus who suffered more than anyone in history. But he wasn't suffering on his behalf. He was suffering on our behalf. And so we can move from defining our identity by our suffering to seeing ourselves as God sees us, as a child of God with a big brother, Jesus, who suffered for me. And he gives me grace to endure whatever suffering I'm called to bear with in this life. Okay. I'm going to close. You know what happens when one of those um, groups of idols um, takes root in our hearts? Is God is kind to us. And what he does is he messes with it. There's a story in the Old Testament of how the ark um, was, and I can't remember exactly, but the ark, I think it was, it was captured, the ark was captured, I think by the Philistines or by somebody, someone help me, Philistines, okay. And, and they captured it, but then what happened is, 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 is they said, right now, we, we've, we've captured the, the God of the Israelites, you know. And they took it and they put it in the temple of their God, right? And their God's name was Dagon. Have you, heard, have you read the story? So they put the ark in there and they're like, okay, everything's cool, you know. And, and everything starts going wrong. Okay, they come the next morning and Dagon has fallen off his place on, on his face before the ark. So they're like, oh, there must have been a wind or something, you know. So they, but there was no wind in there. So they pick up Dagon and they put him back, right? And they come back the next morning and Dagon's on his face again and all his hands and feet have been cut off. And, you know, because God loves us too much to let us replace the only one who can be a God for us with the idol that we choose. So he starts to mess with it. But when our idols get messed with, and I, I, I was preparing this, and I'm like, God, this is all me. And Annie's like, you know, you shouldn't just preach about what God's telling you the whole time. I'm like, I don't have a choice. But I was in business, and boy, you know, I mean, the company was the best performing company over five years on the JSE, and you know, there was all these accolades and little plastic trophies. It was amazing. 
And then God was like, okay, this thing's become an idol in your heart. You, your success, your reputation, what you can do, your achievements, your duties, your items that you buy, everything. Yeah, I, I mean, my heart is an idol factory. And so God's like, okay. And he brings a legal case questioning, should I be qualified to act as a director or not? I'm like, what? And I hire the best lawyers. And I, I did nothing wrong. And, I, and you all know the story. I lost. And there were people who came and prophesied, God is going to vindicate you. God is going to look after you. God has got you. And I'm like, I'm going to win the case. And I lost it. And it wasn't fair. And it was this and that. And, and, and everything, my world fell apart. How could I ever be used by anything, by God for anything now? Now I'm useless because of these reputational damage. Emotional damage. <laughs> and so what happened is I went into crisis management mode. And this is what we do when God removes one of our idols. And the first thing is we live in anxiety and fear that the source of our identity may fail us or be taken away from us. And then when that identity begins to totter even further, you know, it gets knocked over, the hands and legs are off, then we start to panic and we try to salvage our chosen idol. Superglue. And finally, when our identity fails us completely, we start to look for someone to blame. Some people blame God for taking their idol away and become bitter towards Him. Yes, Lord, I remember those prayers. How can you do this to me, God? Some people blame other people and become resentful and angry and even violent against those who dared to mess with their idol. And still others blame themselves and feel like failures and hate themselves. Tragically, many of us who lose our individual identity idol simply choose another one rather than turning to Christ. I remember when I came to South Africa, I started surfing and I loved surfing. It's, if you've never surfed before, it's the closest thing to hit. No, I'm joking. And then I realized God doesn't love me because my back got hurt. And then for the past two years, I haven't been able to surf at all. And even if I sit on a chair, I'm like, you know, struggling to get up. Never mind getting up on a wave. And I realized that thing became an idol. First thing in the morning was the surf report, not the Bible. And what happens is, unless we learn, we go, oh, this was the point I was making. And so what I did is I got walking shoes because I could walk. And then I became the hiker. And then hiking was everything. And I was telling people, come, let's go for a walk in Newlands Forest. And then I thought, whoa, careful. I know what happened the last time. Because God will let you repeat the painful process each time. 
We just go from one addiction or compulsion to another one. But we never find the only true answer to our identity crisis. And his name is Jesus. And so next week, if I preach, I will, the, the title will be, How Can We Be Set Free? And Who Are We Really in Christ? There is nothing that can carry the weight of our lives, only Jesus. There is nothing good in us. There is only the good that Christ has done for us. And for all eternity, there is nothing to be proud of, but only someone to worship that He has blessed us for eternity and forgiven our sins. And His name is Jesus. But what I want to do is I want to share with you what He's been sharing with me about how I can build my life on Christ and in Christ. And that starts with saying sorry for our idols.